When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've learned how to take lemons and make lemonade. We've learned how to make jazz out of an oppressive situation. The black community is very resilient. You have to have deep faith to continue to take that kind of onslaught, that kind of insult, that kind of injury, that kind of death, that kind of murder, and then remain. We have a really rich legacy here, and and we remember. If you don't learn from the past, you're destined to repeat it. Have we followed history well enough to know that this is an opportunity for us to really rebirth ourselves? Will we do it in this moment? Black Americans from Tulsa, Oklahoma, talking about the legacy of their people and their struggle as America marks Juneteenth. Tomorrow in Tulsa, the president of the United States will hold his first campaign rally since the pandemic began. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is The Daily D.C. This weekend's rally is putting the overlapping crises in America in stark contrast, seemingly by the president's own choice. His rally, occurring in a state where coronavirus cases are up approximately 140 percent since just last week during a pandemic that disproportionately affects communities of color. And it's being held in a city that is the site of one of the worst racial massacres in American history, where 99 years ago this month, A mob of whites slaughtered black people in the streets. And those wounds are still fresh. And so to come to the birthplace of Black Wall Street, a place where we had the worst domestic racist terrorist attack in U.S. history and give a speech on race relations, it's insulting, it's infuriating, and it's unacceptable. Today is Juneteenth the day commemorating the end of legal slavery in the United States. But instead of typical celebrations, today will be marked by protests and marches. And as bipartisan calls grow to make Juneteenth a national holiday, President Trump is claiming that he made the day famous after deciding to move his rally originally scheduled for today. But as backlash to the president's rally grows over the health risks and racial tensions, hundreds of his supporters have been in line for days. A sign that the president's support among his base, despite recent stumbles, is still a force to be reckoned with. So joining me now to discuss more on Juneteenth and President Trump's upcoming campaign rally in Tulsa is CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip. Abby, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. 
It's so great to join you. Thanks, David. So you've been in Tulsa actually all week in the lead up to the president's first campaign rally in some three months. We'll get to that all in a moment. I do want to just talk to you for a second about what you're seeing today in Tulsa on Juneteenth. Are there celebrations there and are the celebrations somewhat different this year than you've learned from locals there as they've been in years past? Yeah, it's been interesting. I have been here for seven straight days, which is actually extraordinary for a reporting trip. But this community basically went from canceling their annual Juneteenth celebration to hastily resuming it as a Juneteenth event and a sort of anti-Trump counter-protest event. And it has become really kind of a huge thing. We talked to some people who came in from Los Angeles. People are coming from all over the country to join in with Tulsans for this moment. And this morning, as we were coming in very, very early to do our live shots, there were members of the community activists who painted a giant yellow Black Lives Matter mural on the street leading into the area that is known as Black Wall Street in the Greenwood District. And our listeners will probably recognize that's the same kind of mural that's all over the country. Started out in Washington, D.C., in Lafayette Park, right in front of the White House. And now there's one here in Tulsa. So they're preparing for, you know, one of the organizers just told me it could be about 10,000 people who come out. They've got music, they've got speakers, Al Sharpton, they've got face painting for kids. It's a whole atmosphere. And they did this in about a week and a half, trying to create some kind of event to counteract what the president is doing. Wow. And think about what you're describing. It just gave me chills, actually, about sort of the century span from this horrific massacre of Black people in Tulsa to a Black Lives Matter mural. Have you gotten any reaction there to, given everything you've just said about how much they hastily put back together after canceling their celebration, it may have been, I don't know, surprised to many to find out that the president thinks he's the one that made Juneteenth famous? Yeah, I talked to a couple of people about that this morning, and people are just completely incredulous about this. I mean, one thing to keep in mind, Juneteenth in Tulsa is actually a particularly important holiday. I mean, Oklahoma is very close in proximity to Texas. Juneteenth is a holiday that marks when many slaves in Texas learned that they were free. So you have people here, Black folks here who have ties to the origins of that holiday in a way that is unique in this country. So they really do have and have had for many years Juneteenth celebrations here. So people are just like insult on top of injury. They feel like the president is provoking them and they are not entertained by it in any way, shape or form. I think the people who are here who are from Tulsa, whose roots go back to the city, they have such a proud history, a sad history, but a proud history. And I think that's what's prompted such a organized response to the president that people feel like they can't let this moment pass by without being marked by how they feel about it. It's also kind of amazing, Abby, just to listen to you describe the sort of celebratory aspect to the day, given 
the moment that we're in. Obviously, black Americans being disproportionately adversely affected by COVID, the economic collapse that has come in the aftermath of the virus also having a significant impact on the African-American community. Obviously, this moment of protest against police brutality that we are seeing across the country, to have sort of a moment of celebration amidst all of that, it's just fascinating to hear you describe that. You just mentioned some of the sad history, but proud history. I know you're in the Greenwood District right now. Can you walk our listeners through a little bit? I know you've been reporting this week on exactly what that history is. Yeah, well, Greenwood is a part of Tulsa that 100 years ago in a segregated city was a place where Black people came for opportunity. It was a time of an oil boom. And even at that time, Black people in this part of the country were able to become entrepreneurs. They they were doctors. They could get a good education. The descendants that I spoke to as I over the course of this week talked about how their ancestors came to Tulsa because Tulsa was known as a place where you could be Black and get a really great education. There was a hospital here. There was a, the largest Black-owned hotel here in Tulsa. So it was a booming place. It was characterized by what people call Black excellence. And it was also a source of a lot of envy in the neighboring white community just across the train tracks from where Greenwood was. So that's the environment that precipitated this horrible massacre that occurred on June 1st, 1921, in which an allegation of sexual assault of a white woman by a black man pitted these two parts of Tulsa against each other and white Tulsans invaded essentially the black part of Tulsa, Greenwood, and destroyed it. And in one day, in 24 hours, it was burned to the ground. Hundreds were left dead, dumped in mass graves. There are reports that some bodies were dumped in the Arkansas River. And that is the horrible, sad part of that story that people here in Tulsa live with every day and are still fighting and scrapping to preserve that history and also to uncover what was covered up for a long time. Shortly after the massacre, the newspapers reported that about a dozen or two dozen people were killed. The number is closer to the hundreds, more like 300 people were killed. There was an effort to minimize what happened here and a 99-year effort of the people who survived and were descendants of those people to really uncover the true story of what happened. We'll be right back with a lot more from Abby Phillip. We're back with CNN political correspondent Abby Phillip. While this is a unique set of circumstances you just described and pretty horrific part of American history, but like in so many American communities across the country, the racism at the core of what you're describing is still something that we're contending with, obviously. You don't have to go back to 1921. As recently as 2016, a black man named Terrence Crutcher was killed by police uh, during an episode on a roadway. And his twin sister, Tiffany Crutcher, talked to you about the massacre and her brother's killing. Give a listen. The same culture that burnt down Black Wall Street and killed innocent people and ran my great-grandmother from her home. It's the same culture, the same policing culture 
um, that killed Terrence. I mean, Abby, these two events are, are totally connected, clearly for her. And I'm wondering, is that a sentiment you have found often in your conversations in Tulsa about a real connection to that moment in history and to what many in the black community there are feeling right now about their experience. Yeah, it is a sentiment that's shared by many people here. Part of it has to do with the way in which the black community here feels over-policed. That, that's probably the simplest way to put it, that um, that they're viewed differently from other Uh, segments of the population, that their mere presence is viewed as a threat, that their mere existence is viewed as a threat. That's a sentiment that I hear a lot. And you see it in big ways, like in what happened to Tiffany Crutcher's brother. He was shot in an interaction with police. He was unarmed. The officer said that she believed that he was reaching for something, a weapon perhaps, and she felt threatened. But then there was a smaller incident, you know, two teenage boys just walking down the street in a neighborhood and they were stopped and questioned and then arrested for jaywalking in a neighborhood where there was no sidewalk. That's the kind of incidents like that that happen repeatedly. Black people in this community feel like they don't get the benefit of the doubt that if they're walking down the sidewalk, that they can simply do that without being accused of being participants in a crime or uh, participants in a gang. And I think those are the kinds of things that have made the policing relationship here in Tulsa really tense, but really all over the country. It's the same kind of pattern. It's the same kind of feeling that their humanity is not being respected. Let's talk briefly about the president's rally coming up tomorrow there. This is what he tweeted this morning. Quote, any protesters, anarchists, agitators, looters or lowlifes who are going to Oklahoma, please understand you will not be treated like you have been in New York, Seattle or Minneapolis. It will be a much different scene. What did you make of that tweet from the president? Well, it is fuel on the fire. David, as you know, I mean, this is a president who actually seems to enjoy turning the temperature up on moments like this. And it is already a tense, uncertain time here. That tweet makes it even more so because it seems to be a threat, not just to people who are maybe perpetrating violence, but also he included protesters in that, which was notable. And I've asked a couple of people here about how they feel about that. And they just say, par for the course. This is what they expect from this president. It's one of the reasons they decided to come out here. But the question is, what message is the president giving to his own supporters who do listen to him, take their cues from him? If he believes this is going to be a confrontational situation, he seems to be in some ways egging it on in that tweet. And that's the opposite of what people want here. Nobody wants Tulsa to burn over the next couple of nights because of the fact that there are thousands of the president's supporters and thousands of people who don't support the president here in the city at the same time. Frankly, he could have just said nothing at all and let local police and local officials handle it. But he wants to be seen as tough in the face of these protests. And I think that instinct is one of the reasons why this visit was controversial in the first place. 
Well, you just said the word controversial. I mean, he thrives on that. And a city fraught with tension, as you're describing it, he thinks it's that kind of environment that he thrives in politically. Obviously, Abby, there are also huge health risks associated with the rally. I mean, Oklahoma had its largest single day increase in coronavirus cases yesterday. I'm just wondering, are you talking to folks that are uh, concerned about that in any way? And uh, do you believe that there's any way that this rally may actually get postponed because of those health concerns? Well, people are absolutely concerned about it. There is no question. Local officials are clear-eyed that they're going to have to deal with the fallout from all of these activities, not just the president's rally, although they are most concerned about that because it's an indoor event. But again, thousands of people are converging on this city. Juneteenth had been canceled because of the coronavirus. Now they're having it, but organizers are making sure people have masks, people are being asked to wear them. You know, I even was talking to someone about the degree to which they can disperse people so that they're a little bit more distant from each other. Those are the considerations that I'm seeing over on this side of town. Over at the BOK Center, there is no talk about masks among the people who are sitting outside waiting to get into the arena. They're going to get masks as they go in, but they're not going to be forced to wear them. And there are some efforts underway to force the Trump campaign to enforce some of these health measures, maybe encouraging or mandating that their rally goers wear masks. But the campaign is so unlikely to do that because the president has made mask wearing a political statement. He has made fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask. I don't see how the president suddenly is going to turn around and say, all of my supporters need to wear masks in this arena because he has made a clear statement that he thinks wearing a mask is a weakness. And I think his followers are going to follow suit. And this is going to be potentially not just a problem for Tulsa, but people are coming from all over the country, mind you, to come to this rally. They're going to be going home to their home states, potentially putting their families, their communities at risk as well. Abby, you are just in the middle of what I think is, you know, probably one of the most consequential weeks of the year that we're experiencing. What an amazing reporting opportunity. And thank you for the tremendous work you've been doing out there. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And a special thanks to our listeners as well. Starting next week, the show is going to be a little different. If you're a longtime listener, you'll remember when this show used to just be me and a microphone. And for the next two weeks, it's going to sound like that again. But don't worry, I will still be giving you the top political headlines and analysis you need to know every day. So why is it going to sound a little different? Because the production team is stepping away to work on a new project that we're excited for you to hear soon. So stay tuned. The Daily DC is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer and Haley Thomas is the senior news producer. Raj Makija is our technical lead. Our episodes are produced by Will Cadigan, Mimi Mutesa, and Priscilla Alibi, and engineered by Francisco Monroy. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll see you next week. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.